Thank you, choir. I hope that's true of us this morning, that we will trust Him all over again. Or maybe for some of you, maybe you've never trusted Him before. Maybe this, this morning will be the first time that you encounter Christ this morning and it's in, in a saving way. You know, but how do you, how do you know what you know? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I took a philosophy class a few years ago. Maybe you've taken a philosophy class or maybe, maybe you've even majored in philosophy. But, you know, when you get into a philosophy class... You know, it's all about asking questions, right? Asking questions like, how do you know what you know? And you can spend days and weeks and months on end diving into all the ins and outs of what it means to know and how you know. And I'm going to give a, a drastic oversimplification to, uh, to, to my definition or, or description of how we know what we know. And it doesn't really do justice to this field and if you ever want to study more about how you know what you know, it's called epistemology is the, is the fancy term for it. And you can dive into a philosophy class or if you like some resources about that subject, you can see me after the service and I'll be more than happy to, to share those with you. But uh, my oversimplification of that whole subject area is how we know what we know. Well, there's really two ways we gain knowledge. One is we're able to gain knowledge firsthand through our own experiences, and then the second way we gain knowledge is through hearing it from someone else, like secondhand. You know, many of us have uh, children or grandchildren starting back school here shortly, you know, and they're going to be learning about things that they're learning secondhand. They've never experienced certain things, but they're learning about things from books and other people's experiences. And yet some of us have learned things firsthand. You know, we've experienced those things ourselves. And so there's two Simple, simple ways of, of gaining knowledge. And I want to share an illustration that I think uses both of those ways, and maybe you'll shed some light on this idea. And if you have children or you've been around children for any amount of time, this will probably make sense. You know, there's, there's been a number of scenarios that have occurred in my family where I have told my children not to do something because it could cause them harm, and they do it anyway. <laughs> so... You have all these different scenarios. But one scenario stands out. It happened actually just this past week. You know, the family, we're all down at the beach on vacation. And, uh, you know, C and I take the kids out on this walk, on the sidewalk next to the water. And uh, the sidewalk's real bumpy. And, you know, my, my, my youngest child, Lily, is running around. And I said, Lily, you may not want to keep running around. The sidewalk's kind of bumpy. You know, you, you're wearing these certain type of shoes. And it's going to be very easy for you to fall and, you know, if you fall on that bumpy sidewalk, it's going to hurt. Well, you know, some things you just have to learn firsthand, right? So she keeps running around, and next thing you know, she just bites the dust. And so I obviously run to her, pick her up, and comfort her, and, you know. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, if, if you'd have listened to me, you know, gained that secondhand knowledge and paid attention to it, you would not have fallen and scraped your knee. But, you know, there are just some things that we have to learn firsthand. You know, secondhand just, just won't do. And I don't know if you all can relate to that. But, but you know, the past uh, two weeks, last week and this week, we've been talking about a series on uh, reaching out to others, sharing the gospel with other people. And last week we talked about this idea of showing and telling Christ. You know, when you're out in the world, in your workplace, in your neighborhood within your family, in the classroom, wherever you are, your lives and your speech 
is either confusing or clarifying the gospel to people around you. And so you're out in the world and you're kind of a billboard for Christianity. You know, you're trying to show and tell who Christ is. Well, this week we're going to talk about something very similar. There is some overlap, but it's a little different twist on this idea of reaching out. And it is going to be entitled what I'm calling uh, Come and See. So there's the show and tell, and then there's a come and see. You know, last week we looked at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first letter, or we call it 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we saw uh, Paul's ministry philosophy. And we saw that Paul was willing to do just about anything, become whoever he needed to be. In other words, he, need, he could accommodate himself to whatever situation in order that he would communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ accurately and accessible to those he's talking with. This showing and telling of the gospel. And this week we're going to talk about what it looks like to, to come and see, to bring people into an invitation to encounter Christ. And to do that, we're going to look at uh, a passage in John chapter 4. And in this passage, we're going to see an interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And I think as we look at this interaction, there's a number of things we could be looking at in this, in this interaction. We could spend a lot of time walking through this passage. But what I want to do is, is briefly enter into the interaction and walk through it with you and then focus on how this, this woman reacted once she found out that Jesus is the Messiah. So first we're going to walk through the interaction and then we're going to revisit how she reacts once she finds out that Jesus is is the Messiah. So in John chapter 4, if you've got a Bible, turn there. If you don't, there's a Bible in the front of you, in the pew in front of you, uh, you can use. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1 in John chapter 4. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And what we're seeing here in this passage is Jesus is going to progressively 
identify himself as the Messiah to this woman. And so he starts off by showing that he is a unique person and a unique Jewish person and a unique Jewish teacher in the fact that he interacts with this Samaritan woman, which was a cultural no-no among the Jewish people in the first century. And so he interacts with this woman and then he talks, starts talking about this living water that he's going to give her. And she doesn't quite understand it yet, but she's realizing that there's something unique about this man. He's a little different than the other Jewish men that she's encountered. And that's why we see here, and uh, we, we know it's unique in that you know, John tells us that a little a parenthetical statement. He says that you know, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There was this cultural divide between these two people. And yet Jesus is entering into conversation with this Samaritan woman. And so she sees that this man is truly unique. And this was her first clue that this is a unique individual. Her second clue comes as Jesus demonstrated his uniqueness by revealing what he knows about the woman's relationship or relationships with men. Look at verses 16 through 19. It says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And so we see Jesus' identity is progressing. Okay, I see this, the woman saying, I see this as a unique man, a unique Jewish man. By the fact he entered conversation with me. He's talking about living water. I don't fully understand that. But then now he's starting to get personal. you know, And he's revealing some things about me that I don't know how he would know unless he was a prophet. And so in her mind, Jesus is progressing. Okay, he's, a, he's an interesting teacher. Now he's a prophet. And then he continues on in verses 20 through 26. Je Jesus demonstrates his uniqueness in that he's not only a unique teacher or a prophet, but he's actually the Messiah. Look at verse 20. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, will, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. So we see Jesus is revealing to this woman who He truly is. He's not just a teacher or a prophet, but He's in fact the Messiah, the one that is to come to deliver God's people, the one who is to mediate between God and man, the one who's able to ensure that you and I can have a personal relationship with God, we can have our sin forgiven, we can be partakers of eternal life. And this whole event climaxes at the very end when Jesus is identified by both the woman and the people from her city is not only a prophet or the Messiah, but the Savior of the world. Look at verses 27 through 42. It says, Just then His disciples came back. They marveled 
that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You know, the disciples, they've seen Jesus do enough things to know that if he's doing something, there's a reason behind it. And so they don't question him, but they are, they are wondering what was going on here. Why is he having this conversation? What's going on here? But they don't ask that question. They're just observing. And then in verse 28, it says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So that's one scene. The woman has gone back into her town, told people about her encounter with Christ, and invited them to come see Jesus. And they're on their way. And while they're on their way, the disciples come back and they see Jesus talking to the woman. And then as the woman leaves, Jesus has this conversation with the disciples in verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. So here's, here's the picture. He's ha- Jesus is having a conversation with the woman. She leaves her water jar. Some may say, well, maybe she just was so excited that she left it. I don't think that's the case. I think she was planning on coming back. And so why carry a water jar into town and carry it back? So she leaves it there. She goes into town and she starts to share with the people about her encounter with Christ and invites them to come and see Jesus. And while that is happening, the disciples are having this conversation with Jesus about, you know, you need to eat something, you're hungry. And Jesus is saying, well, you know, what I'm doing is, is more important than food. You know, there's something I'm taking, a part, I'm taking part of that's more important than just my physical appetite. You know, my, my appetite is to do God's will. I want to do what God sent me here to do. And then, he's, then he uses this uh, illustration of the harvest. And he says, you know, you say four months into the harvest. In other words, you plant seeds and over a period of time, you know, the, the crops grow and then it's time to reap the harvest. So you have the sowing and you have the reaping. And then he says, but just lift up your eyes. Because what's happening? The people are coming. The people are coming out of the town, coming to see Jesus. And he says, lift up your eyes. The fields are white for harvest. In other words, he's using this idea of the harvest to represent the people who are spiritually hungry and want to know who he is. And he says, lift up your eyes. You see the people that are coming. You're about to reap what you did not sow. You're about to see people come into the kingdom, come into God's family, even though you've done nothing to sow that seed, yet you're going to participate in the reaping. You're going to see the people come to faith in the Messiah. And so that's the picture. And then in verse 39 it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. 
And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So Jesus progressively identifies himself as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. The woman has this encounter with him. She goes out, tells her people in her town. They come and see Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. And they come to faith in Jesus Christ as the the Messiah. And they recognize him for who he is. Now, there's a lot to be said about that passage. But what I want to do is I want to see how this woman reacted. And I think as we look at how she reacts to the realization that Jesus is the Son of God, He is the Savior of the world, I think as we see her reaction, we perhaps can learn something about how we can more effectively share the gospel with other, other people. So go back to the interaction here, and let's pick it up in verse 27. And I want you to see how she reacts. The disciples are coming back. And it says, they marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? And then notice this in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went back into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? You know, and this woman, you know, she's had five husbands and the, and the man she's with now is not her husband. She probably doesn't have a great reputation in the town. And so what she does is she shares her personal testimony pretty much. And she says, you know, I encountered Christ. This is what happened. Could this be the Messiah? And he invites them to come. She invites them to come and see for themselves. And now skip down to verse 39. It says, And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this indeed, this is indeed the Savior of the world. So you you see how she reacted here. Once she comes face to face with Christ and has this personal interaction with Him and believes that He truly is the Messiah, the way she reacts is she goes back to the town that she's from and she shares with them her encounter and then invites them to come and experience who He is for themselves. You know, she probably knew the people in the town from maybe, maybe she worked for them. Maybe she grew up with them. Maybe they were just simply acquaintances of hers. But she was prompted by her encounter with Christ to go back to where she was familiar, the people that she was around, and tell them about Christ. Now, here's the question. You know, many of us have had a personal interaction with Christ. You know, we've, by faith, trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. We believe that He is the Son of God. We believe that through Him and through Him alone we can come and have eternal life. And so the question is, how how are we to invite people to come and see Jesus today? And we see how she did it. He's sitting there in the flesh at the well. She goes back and invites them back and there He is and they have an interaction. He, He stays in their town two days and they believe. So how are we to do that today? We interact... 
with Jesus through faith. And so how do we invite others to come and see Jesus? Well, I think there's at least two ways that we can do that today. The first way is by inviting our friends, you know, our neighbors, our co-workers, those who we are acquainted with, those who we naturally interact with, those we come in contact with, invite them into our Christian community. And this is what that looks like. You know, this would be like inviting them into uh, maybe a meal you're having. Let's say you're going to have some people from the church or Christians over for dinner, inviting someone into that meal. Or maybe you're going downtown and you know, to spend some time down there, inviting them along with you to spend some time downtown or uh, at a baseball game or maybe over to your house for a social event or some type of gathering where Christians are present, where Christians are interacting with one another. Because I think as, as Christians interact with one another and people see that, in a way, they are interacting with Christ. They're interacting with the gospel. They're seeing the effect of the gospel in the lives of people. And so one of the ways that we can invite people to come and see Jesus is by inviting them into our community. And I think we see this even in uh, Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 when He prays to the Father for His disciples and those who would come and follow Him even after His disciples. And I want to read verses 16 through 23 in John 17 because I think this prayer sums up what I'm saying here. In verse 16 it says, Jesus says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I did not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So as the church, as the community of those who follow Christ, we represent Christ to the world. Both individually and in our community. So last week we talked about showing and telling the gospel in and and through your lives, wherever you are. And now I'm talking about how we as a community can represent Christ. You know, how we interact with each other demonstrates to the world the power of the gospel. Now, it can either demonstrate a great power or very little power. You know, how we interact with each other as Christians is the testimony of whether or not we've had an interaction with Christ. And so as what Jesus is praying there is, is as we interact with each other, people will see that God has truly sent Christ into the world. And so the first way that we can invite people to come and see Christ is to invite them into our community. 
invite them into our lives and that so they can see the interaction between us and other Christians and how we treat one another and how the gospel changes how we view people, how we treat people, etc. So the second way that we can invite people to come and see Jesus is to invite them into uh, gatherings where God's word is being taught, rightly proclaimed. Now I think we see this in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15, when Paul writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so on the one hand, we can, we can proclaim Christ through our interaction with each other as Christians. And also we can proclaim Christ by teaching God's Word. And so this might look like inviting someone to your small group Bible study. This might look like inviting someone into your Sunday school class or uh, into you know, our worship service at 11 o'clock. Or it might look like inviting a friend to like a Just Give Me Jesus conference that's coming up in September, this women's conference. It may be inviting a friend to that. It's inviting a friend to something that you know God's Word is going to be proclaimed and they're going to have an interaction with Christ. Because we know God's Word points everybody to Christ. That's what it is. That's what it does. And so if God's Word is being proclaimed, then people will have an interaction with Christ. And so, if we're going to see people have this saving interaction with Christ, then we must be both showing and telling the gospel in our everyday lives, everywhere we go, in every interaction we have with everyone we meet. And also, we need to be inviting people to come and see Christ by inviting them into our community and inviting them to into places where they're going to hear God's Word being taught. And I think as we do these things, as we live out the Gospel, both wherever we are in the world at any given moment, as well as bringing them into community, living out community, teaching the Gospel, as we do these things, I think we'll see, just like this woman saw, many people from our town believing in Christ, not because of just what we've said, but because of their personal interaction with Christ of the Scripture. So the question is, who who can we invite? Who can we invite into our community? Who can you bring along with you? You know, this takes some initiative. It takes you stepping out of your comfort zone. I'm sure this woman was not very comfortable going back to the town where her reputation was probably not the best, but yet she did it and she said, you know, I, have, I had this experience, this encounter with a person that I really think it's in your best interest to, to come and see for yourself and learn about. If He is the Savior of the world, I mean, if Christ is the Son of God, if He is the Savior of the world, if He's the only way for someone to know God, then it seems like there should be some 
compulsion within us to say, you know, I want others to know Him. So who can we invite? Who could we, who can we bring along? Who can we share our life with? Who can we invite to Sunday school or a Bible study or to this conference coming up or to church? You know, there's a, there's a date coming up. I mentioned it in the announcements. September the 9th. Uh, there's nothing overly special about that day, but we're calling that Sunday Welcome to the Hill Sunday. And we're going we're gonna to do all that we can that day to, to help people that are visiting our church, as well as members of our church, you all as well, to feel welcomed. We're going we're gonna to have uh, extra greeters all around the church showing people how to get where they need to go, you know, encountering a smiling face when they come up on the, the church grounds here. You know, we're going to have information about our church, about what's going on in the life of our church. You know, we're going to have a, a free lunch after church for all of our guests, free of charge to them, because we want to just invite them in, not only to hear the gospel during one of these uh, services, maybe Sunday school or a worship service, but also we just want to interact with one another and demonstrate the gospel for our guests. And we want to invite them into that. And we want to pay for their lunch. And we're going to invite them for free to come and partake of lunch for us, with us. And there are tickets. They look like this. Welcome. It's like a little welcome mat. Welcome to the Hill, September the 9th. And on the back gives you all the information about Sunday school and morning worship and evening Bible study and information about the lunch. Now this is a great opportunity for you and me to put these sermons into practice. And so what I want to challenge us with this morning is that we would pray. We would start praying today and leading up to this time. That Lord, would you put in my mind, would you open doors of opportunity? Would you help me see those opportunities? Where I can invite someone to join me for Sunday school. Invite them to the worship service at 11. Invite them to lunch. This is a great opportunity for us to step out in faith. And ask the Lord to use us to invite people in. So they can experience not only the teaching of the gospel. But the living out of the gospel in this community of ours here at the Hill Baptist Church. And I also want to challenge us to. To commit to act, not only to pray, but be willing to be available, be willing to actually extend the invitation to hand out a ticket to somebody, to a family, to a friend, to someone you encounter on a regular basis, maybe someone who cuts your hair or you see at the grocery store or at the gas station that you go to often or your, or your mailman, you know, whatever it may be, whoever you interact with, just like this woman. We go and we, we show and tell Christ by our lives and through our words, but then we invite them to come and see. Come and see the effects of the gospel. Come and see a community made up of diverse people from diverse backgrounds, yet coming together in one place at one time because we have a common Savior in Christ. And we believe that He is, in fact, the Savior of the world. And so if we've had a personal interaction with Christ and we know Him to be the Savior of the world, then I think we could probably react or should react the same way this woman did. 
and going out, living out the gospel, but also inviting people in to this Christian community. So I pray that that would happen. Not only on September 9th, but in every opportunity we have. Let's pray. God, thank You for this morning. Thank You for a renewed trust in You like we sung about earlier. Lord, I pray that each of us would just evaluate in our own hearts the question, what what do we believe about You? Do we believe that You are in fact the Savior of the world? Are You my Savior? Have I placed my trust in You? Do I want others to know You? God, I pray that You would give us the eyes to see those around us. Help us to see that the fields are white with harvest of people who are hungry for You. Lord, help us to be Your hands, Your feet, Your mouthpiece in the city of Augusta. To extend a friendly invitation to come and see who Jesus is. Well, I pray You do great things this year. I pray You do great things on that Sunday, September 9th. That many people will come and see who Christ is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.